Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am very excited about today's guest. We got Michael Patrick Straub, who is the founder of The Closing Room in the Law Firm Growth Podcast Zoom room today. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, really, really excited to have him on. So I originally saw Michael through Facebook ads, which is one of my favorite ways to prove that somebody's actually trying to do something with their business because it costs money. And I got into his materials and he's got some really good stuff. A lot of things that we talk about in this podcast, often in terms of sales process, predictability, closing the gaps that you need to take your law firm to the next level. But I'm really excited to sit down with him for the next 45 minutes or so. But uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Jan, I really appreciate it. Really looking forward to being here and, and excited to hopefully provide some value for everyone today. Okay, rock and roll. So um, let's get started with an old classic. So like, you know, how'd you get into this legal closing stuff in the first place? <laughs> Good question. So uh, former to this, I actually had raw launched and, and run a web development company. So I actually, my first big boy business, if you will, because I've kind of been entrepreneurial out of the womb, was a YouTube channel dedicated to Wix training content. And so I built this Wix training YouTube channel and, and grew it as Wix continued to grow and was actually able to create a, a pretty nice business for myself through college. I was able to do six figures from my dorm room. That's kind of the cool little nugget I have there from the business. The problem is, is what I discovered during that process is I absolutely loved sales and I loved marketing. I wasn't all that thrilled and enthused with web design and development. I just saw a lucrative opportunity back in that time period and ran with it. Well, transition to me coming out of college. I wanted to kind of branch into something sales oriented. And again, being entrepreneurial, I wanted to own my own business. And so an opportunity kind of presented itself where I had a chance to kind of prove my salt, if you will. So there was a, a bankruptcy law firm in Towson, Maryland, uh, that was willing to give me a shot to come in and prove out this sales structure that I had built and developed while I was in the web development space. And I walked into that firm and they said, look, you've got 90 days. You got 90 days to prove that what you're doing is going to work better than what we're currently doing. And when I got in there, they were closing at about 50% of their qualified leads into paying clients at the time. And at the end of those 90 days, we were actually able to help them bring that close rate up to 84% consistently. Week in and week out, they were doing 84%. And they collected more cash than they had ever collected prior to, which was an awesome result. Problem was, is that was me doing it, right? So I had to then say, okay, could I take this same system and teach law firms how to do it with either themselves or their staff? And so I launched a, a beta group of clients and, and I took three law firms that raised their hand and said they'd be interested in doing this and, and ran into it. And they all started at a, a near average of about 33% close rate. And then at the end of month one, they were all consistently between 65 and 70%. And so I was like, okay, this works, right? We've got something. And then of course, I went on to launch the closing room. And that's what I've been doing now for almost the last two years. And we've helped law firm owners generate just over six and a half million dollars in additional revenue as a result of optimizing the sales process. Okay. Well, that definitely sounds like an outcome that I think some of the listeners are going to be interested in because... <laughs> 
Uh, and one of the things I really love about this story, too, is that you're talking about net numbers, which is great. But I remember way back in the day, and I didn't promote this damn near enough, but uh, I had a course that was called Double Your Close Rate. And my whole pitch behind it was, you know, you don't have to spend twice as much money. That's a really dumb way to scale it. If yes. you can get to the point where you can get that close rate up, you're going to be making more money on the same investment. It always comes down to it's kind of an analog to like conversion rate back in the, the web development stuff. But kind of going back to the story, what did you find? And, you know, this could either be with this initial bankruptcy firm when you when you stepped in for the first time or the commonalities in that initial beta group. Like, what are the things that most attorneys are doing wrong right now? Great question. So there's really a few key things. But if I were to boil it down to one really core thing, it would be they don't have a sales structure in place. So every consultation that they're running is customized for each prospect. So, so it's just dynamic consultations. And the issue with that is that when we're running dynamic consultations indirectly, what we're trying to do is trying to close 100%, right? We're trying to close each prospect into a client. The problem and the logic where that breaks down is when we try to do that, if we don't have a structure in place, some weeks we may close 80%, other weeks we may close 20%. And the issue is there's no dependability and there's no consistency there. And so when I was first starting in that firm, that was one of the core issues I saw, along with another topic that uh, you know I think we'll probably want to broach, this concept of legal advice, right? We're using the consultation as an opportunity to not only be dynamic, but to also give legal advice and help try to solve the problem in the consult room. Those are two really core things I saw, the biggest being no structure in place. Okay, awesome. I definitely want to get to the structure stuff. But like, as far as the, the consultation thing, it's something that you know, I think it's a sacred cow that people don't question nearly enough. And it's just like, you know, these guys are billing themselves out for three, four, five hundred $500. Mr. Listener, your list, you're billing your Mrs. Listener, you're billing yourself out for this. So if you're going to give away an hour of your time, you're basically paying somebody three, four, five hundred bucks to spend time with you. And I think it's terrible from a process perspective. But I think it's just such a thing that's been done for such a long time that people don't really know what the alternative is. So I want to ask you kind of a corollary to this. And this is kind of built into the story right there for the, the jurisprudence experts in there that are <laughs> thinking about, oh, what's my bar going to say about this? How did you get around, you know, the perception of doing legal advice when you were the one doing closing? And I'm assuming, you know, I, I didn't hear anything about law school in that background. So, so that's JD, correct, right? Yeah, I, I, I am not JD, do not have uh, any uh, law school degree, not a lawyer. So that's a great question. So again, it falls back on this idea of structure, building a structure in place that allows, whether it's an attorney or a non-attorney salesperson to run a consultation without ever giving legal advice. See, here's what we believe. You know, attorneys go to law school, they learn this art of being able to solve these problems. It's the creative juices. A lot of attorneys love consultations for that reason, right? To be able to express that creative side of solving legal challenges. And what we have found is what we're able to do is just move the line in which legal advice is given. What we believe is we should use the consultation to get the prospect to retain the firm so that we can provide them legal advice to solve whatever problem they're experiencing that they came in for. And so the key is, is using tools to be able to deflect legal questions until after they retain the firm. And I know some, some firms out there are listening and wondering how the heck you do this. And obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but it's possible, right? It's possible that that's what we're all about. That's what this whole structure is all about. 
Yeah. yeah, and that's fantastic. And I'll say this just in terms of like throwing some situations that we see all the time with just clients that we're taking on for our marketing services. Like it's really tragic when I, well, I'm not gonna say tragic, but it's a bummer when you have the situation where you have an attorney who's doing the right stuff, he's reading all the books, uh, he's personable, she's personable, whatever. And they're in sort of a golden cage situation because they can close the deals no one else can. And guess what? If you want to make more money, you're going to be staying late and taking off your significant other or whatever. But it's also just from a business perspective, just a terrible way to scale. Like there is a maximum amount of time that you can have on your calendar. So if you really want to get to the point where you're pushing high six figures, seven figures, eight figures, there's no way to do that on one person's consultation. And, you know, God forbid you, you know, have a bad day or you get sick or, you know, you get down in the dumps because then, you know, it's your personal feeling that's going to end up being the determinant of what's going to happen financially to your business. So I am totally on board with that stuff. And yeah, I think the non-attorney sales stuff is so huge because not only does it increase the pool. I also think it's a huge opportunity to get people to do things in different ways. Like, I'll say this too. This is kind of an example. Like, I always love when I see a cleverly set up firm. I'm not going to name this person's uh, situation or, or, or niche because it's very, very clever. But there's a, it's a fellow we used to work with. Fantastic. He's the only attorney at the place. He's got about 17 back office staff just quietly doing, you know, multiple seven figures. And I, I call the guys walking his dog at 2 p.m. every day. Like, nice. and that's, that's kind of like the situation from both a, you know, consistency perspective, but also his ability to find staff, retain them and keep them at much lower rates than most people have JDs. It's fantastic. So, um, but yeah, the process is definitely what is going to enable that, which I think is awesome. Okay. So let's also kind of address one of these elephants in the room too, as far as the situation with um, the legal advice. What would happen if, you know, I, I'm, you know, devil's advocate. Well, hey, sure. if I'm not having any legal advice, but the other guy down the street is giving legal advice, why is somebody going to go to me if they're just going to get pitched or whatever, right? What, what, yeah. How do you guys get around that? Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you. It's it's one that I often hear a lot. And and look, I I think every person that listens to this today is probably going to be sick of me he, uh, saying the word structure, right? <laughs> but it's just going to happen. But what I would say to that is the way the structure is built out is built in a way that allows us to build trust along every step in that structure with the prospect to learn more about them, to kind of lay out their path forward, to kind of share who we are and what we've done and how we've served other people, and then transition into more of that close, if you will, of getting them to take the next step. And so because we've articulated and we've built this process, this consultation process in this way, along with making sure we've got the proper tools to be able to overcome objections, right? Because that's very much an objection toward the end. And so as long as we built these tools to successfully overcome those objections, you'd be amazed. But because you're executing on this structure, people close. Now, you're not going to close 100%, right? And we're not trying to close 100%. And I would tell you that uh, depending on each practice area differs in what percent range, but a good rule of thumb and standard is we're trying to close between 60 and 80% of qualified leads into paying clients consistently, like a week in, week out basis. Does that help provide some clarity? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is the other thing, too. I think there's there's kind of this perception that the more of yourself you give in a consultation, I, I hear this all the time from attorneys, like the better it is for a client. But the truth is, sometimes people are just getting confused. And now they have something to ask the next person. And ultimately, if they don't end up hiring you to take care of their problem, they're probably in more danger than they were before they heard anything, because now they think they have enough to, to get started. And ultimately, you know, I'm kind of into the whole, uh, you know, the moral imperative to close deals, I think is really important. If you can help somebody and you don't do it, then shame on you, because that's that's really what it is. But um, yeah, and I want to say something too, as far as the 100% close rate thing, it's kind of funny. I've like, you know, the people who close 100%, it's like, okay, cool. So who's your favorite referral source? 
Uh, right, like exactly. These situations. Yes. But I think there's also some um, some stuff with people moving the numbers too. It's like, you know, it's 100% of the client that I wanted to close anyway, or like right. kind of sort of the sour grapes thing. But um, that kind of leads me into a segue of something that I'm really curious about. So how do you guys structure or how do you guys recommend firms structuring their process, right? Do you guys recommend going straight to the consultation? Is there a pre-qualification process? How do you make sure that the people in the room are the right people? Because I'm thinking it hit 60 to 80%. We got to make sure that we're getting the wheat and getting the, the chaff out of there before. Sure. Before getting started. Yeah. So one of the big things I'm not a proponent for at all is, um, and everyone use their own version of this word, but the hot transfer. So like mm -hmm. the immediate, someone calls in and they're immediately on a consultation, right? Mm -hmm. That that phone person, we have found that the close rate of hot transfers is astronomically low compared to scheduled appointments. And so when it comes to process, I'm a firm believer that we should be using appointment setters, have a, having a phone room to work on scheduling that appointment. In that scheduling of the appointment, there should be some qualifications, right? We should be learning a little bit more about the situation that that prospect's experiencing. If we identify at time of appointment setting that they're non-qualified, they should never move on to a consultation. Right. So in terms of a filtering process, yes, I, I believe there is a slight filtering at the time of appointment setting. I say slight because I don't want to get too excited in the realm of disqualifying people that really shouldn't have been disqualified. Right. So if we're setting up the appointment, using the appointment setters to make sure they're filtering, learning a little bit more, building some of that trust initially, building some of that empathy initially, and then getting them booked into a consultation. Not only does that add a step that increases show rate, but it also adds a step that increases the trust factor with your firm already because that person has taken some time in the appointment setting to already build that connection a little bit. So they feel a little bit more personally invested with, with us and our firm. It makes the transition into the consultation a little cleaner. And like I said, just more trust is built there. Yeah. And uh, this is something we kind of independently found out a couple of years ago, too, because we used to have people going straight to the, the consultation. And the problem is it was a bigger time requirement for the attorney and the show rate actually went down. So, yes. was, like, you know, people were uh, scared of it. And then, yeah, you, you can imagine the attorneys weren't too happy about it. So, they, <laughs> OK. And then kind of on that that topic, too, there's something and I'm not going to name names. There's a lot of really popular coaching programs out there that will recommend, you know, sending this, you know, 28 page blood type serial number, you know, birth certificate scan um, intake before somebody ends up doing consultation or securing the consultation with some sort of a prepayment or a credit card. What's your guys, you know, what's your philosophy on doing that versus more of a light consultation on the intake? And then how much information are you looking to collect on that initial appointment setting? Yeah, in the appointment setting, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get to the pain point of the prospect. Why are they here in the first place, right? And we're trying to build empathy with them. We are not using that intake as a consultation. That person should not be running any consultation structure. They should be running a, a separate intake structure, right? Where we're, we're getting on, we're obviously collecting the basic details, of course, right? The names, the phone numbers, the emails, the address, that kind of stuff. We're, we're collecting that information and then we're giving them an opportunity to share a little bit more about what's going on with them and their story, why they're here to come see us. Depending on other information, the firm wants to capture maybe where they came from, right? A referral source or a lead source, getting some clarity on that. Uh, and then we're making sure we verbalize that pain point, but letting them know that we're here and we want to help them. And the best way to do that is to take the next step and booking a consultation.
consultation, right? So the sell of the appointment setter is the consultation. That, that's a closed deal if, if we're going to speak in that language for an appointment setter. Right. Okay, gotcha. So we're not going too heavy with it. We just basically need to get enough so that the person heading into it knows really we know what the, the major concerns are for the people. Okay. And then another question I had was, you know, moving some people and it was kind of getting to, I guess, the product, right? So if we're, we're going with this approach where we're, we're having the system selling as opposed to a completely customized solution, then we have to have a, a uniform deliverable, right? So yes. what do you do? Like, what's your guys' approach for, you know, people that are in, you know, retainer-based law or like you recommend people go to packages? What do people need to change about how they actually deliver their service, if anything? Yeah, no, I actually don't find that people need to change their services at all. Even retainer-based firms, like sure, flat fee, obviously a little bit more uh, clear to a prospect and, and easy to, if you will, close the deal right then and there. But what we find is retainer-based is really the same way because you've got an upfront retainer. Right. So, so that's that's kind of what you're discussing in the consultation. Of course, you're going to have to go over on the back end, going through the agreement, making sure they're aware on you know what the price is per hour, how the retainer works. And you're going to touch on some of that in the consultation. But as far as like changing the way we package or deliver the service or the pricing doesn't need to change even though it's a structure-based system. That's the beauty of it. We can build it all into the same type of way we're currently doing business. It's just installing a structure in the consultation process. Okay, super cool. Another thing I wanted to ask was kind of the process for consultation. Okay, so we got some people I'm sure that are listening in. They're thinking, I'm the man, I'm so charming. There's no need I can do this. What are the issues that you find when people are switching over from a like, you know, winging it kind of approach in the consultation room to, and then, you know, for people who might be worried about like, oh, do I have to memorize like a 2000 word script or something like that? What, what's kind of, you know, what does the process look like at a high level? Yeah, so a uh, good question. And and no, you don't have to memorize a 2000 word script. Yes, I am all about having a set script in place. But 2000 word, that, that's a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. In terms of, you know, what is one of the, the tough things from the transition from winging it into a structure is really trusting it and being willing to actually do it, right? Because what I often see is most of the firms we start to work with don't have a structure in place. So when you come in with this new structure, even though, you know, we know it works, we say it works, we've watched it work with many, many firms, it's the ability to come in and say, oh, yeah, I'm willing to do that and actually stick to it, right? Because if we don't commit to actually following it, we're not going to get the type of the results that we want to get. We might get better results, but if we don't go all in, you're just not going to be there. So it, it's that transition of, okay, I'm just going to, you know, here's the structure. I'll just kind of loosely follow it, right? It just doesn't work. You know, there's a structure in place for a reason because we have to follow it. And I know, look, I know for a lot of attorneys <laughs> listening to this, I know structure. Sometimes you hear that and you're like, Oh, that just sounds boring. And what I'm here to say is I get it. But in this case, boring gets results. Yes, it's the same structure every time. Yes, it's the same type of words you use every time. It's different situations for every prospect that walks through and different stories. But boring in this case gets results. So anyone out there that's like, oh, yeah, this is super exciting. It's dynamic. It's creative. It's not. It's really not. And I know that's very devastating for some of you to hear. But it, it gets the job done. It does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And like, I'll say this too. It's, you know, I'd rather have boring consultations and exciting vacations because there's a bunch of money in the checking account than <laughs> the other way well around. Right? Very well put. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. 
And um, I'll also kind of throw this in here too, because it's one of these situations where I feel like people need to really pre-commit on things because you know, I, I don't know, kind of coming up with this in the first time, but it, it's it's a principle like my metaphors are all stupid because my sport is jujitsu and it's just like really hard to explain. But like, you know, if you want to use like a golf metaphor, right? There's situations where people are using the crappy clubs that they use forever and they have a new club and it rocks. But you're going to probably have bad couple days on the course once you switch your new clubs, even though you know that it's ultimately going to be way better. It's that transition ends up not really working out for people, you know, just kind of as a rule of thumb, like, what do you ask for people? Like, what should people be thinking if I mean, again, with your program or with anything else, when you're committing to a new sales process? How much time or how many consultations or, or what can you do to just really, you know, how much time should they be giving themselves to prove that a new structure is better than the one that they're using right now? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a firm believer, a good rule of thumb with anything is like you said, there's a transition process. I think you got to give anything at least a month, right? At least a month of consistently trying it, but consistently trying it, meaning like we've committed to it, right? We're, we're doing it and at least a month to do that. And, and I think within a month's time, uh, you can usually pretty clearly tell if you're at the same type of results worse results or better results than you were previously. Whenever we have clients come in within a month, they're always able to see a difference. You know, your first couple weeks there, you're getting new reps under your belt, right? It's a new structure. You're just learning it. You're maybe stumbling a little bit. That's part of it, right? That That's part of this transition process. And it's being able to actually sit down and listen to all of your consultations back and really be able to digest where you were at. Uh, that's another factor that really helps you during this process to actually listen back to your consultation so, so you can hear kind of how you're progressing with this new structure. And then if you get to a month and you're worse off, I think an evaluation needs to be made first to say, okay, did I fully commit? That's first, right? Did, did I fully commit and did I follow this? And if the answer is yes and you're worse off, then obviously it may not be the right fit for you, right? Mm -hmm. It may not be the right fit. It may not, it may not work for you. I would say in, in most cases, you know, working with, with our clients, we don't ever find that to be the case. But again, I, I think a good rule of the thumb comes back to, to give it a month because a lot of firms like to pull the plug. They see a week or two weeks either with a lower close rate because they're in a transition and they like to pull the plug. I think that's a little premature. It doesn't give it enough time to transition over to where now you're actually starting to pick up some speed with this new structure in place. You're, you're starting to get the hang of it. And that's when you're really going to start to see things click. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you've, you've probably read this book, The Dip by Seth Godin. I think it's one of the most useful models, too, because it's like, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there. I'd say it's more for an entrepreneur thing than an attorney thing. But, you know, most of the people listening to this are entrepreneurs slash attorneys. But it's just like, yep. you know, you get such energy from starting things. But it's just like it really is getting through the cruddy part that is what ends up getting results in anything. Okay. Now I made a note earlier because this, this was something that uh, I, I picked up in the story just a little bit, but it's something that uh, I actually recorded a podcast on recently. So if you guys are hearing, this is probably coming up next week, collecting cash. So uh, I know you guys mentioned cash collected going up dramatically. It is one of the things that I have had the hardest time getting people to do, but how do you recommend people ask for the money? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's asking, right? It, it, I, it, it, it's I feel asking. like that was it. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's having, you know, being willing to ask the question to get them started on that next step. That's the biggest one of the biggest things I see when it comes to a cash collection perspective in law firms is especially the firms that, you know, never had a structure, just kind of wing it, maybe don't have a fantastic close rate is a lot of times I'll either hear some version of, oh, you know, 
yeah, so that sounds good. You want to just reconnect, we'll follow up, something like that. Or I'll hear the prospect and the attorney sit there in silence or just like nothing at all. Like we just never ask. And, and it's it's uncomfortable. I know for many people, it's uncomfortable, right? Because that's the moment when we're actually closing the deal. We're asking for the order, but it's just the willingness to ask. So many, I've heard from prospects before, something along the lines of, yeah, you know, it was actually kind of strange. Like I was really ready to get started, but they just never asked me to. Sometimes people just need to be asked. And, and it's funny and it sounds simplistic and I don't mean to overly simplify it, but it really is that straightforward. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's just like one of those things that, and, I, and people have all kinds of, I've seen all kinds of crazy flavors of people doing it. It's like, oh yeah, I send the contract. Oh yeah, we set the follow, blah, 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 blah. But just like, you know, there's such a sea change in what happens with people's behavior once they actually commit to doing something financially. And then it's working all in your favor. Like, you know, your no-show rate's going to plummet once you have the situation where they've actually put even a deposit down for that kind of stuff. So, okay, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad well, you see the same stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to further that point, because you had mentioned like, I'll just send the contract. That That is very famous. I hear that with many firms. Like, you know, we'll just follow up or, hey, I've just sent over the contract. Whenever you get a chance, just review it, sign it. We'll get started. What we have found is if you do not get the prospect to commit in the consult room. And when I say commit, I mean one of two things, either one, down payment collected, so physical cash collected, or I know in bankruptcy, this happens a lot more often. Maybe someone doesn't have money today, but they're paid on Friday, a scheduled payment with the car details harvested in the consult room. If that prospect leaves that consult room without committing, some of you are listening to this right now and resonating with this, the likelihood of getting them back to show up for a follow-up is just instantly dwindles. Like, sure, we have follow-ups and we can schedule follow-ups, but for that prospect to just take that action on their own, they have to either be in a very dire situation. Otherwise, who wants to come back to just make a transaction, right? No one, everyone tries to push that off. Everyone tries to push the, the whole payment thing off unless they have to do it in the moment. So it's just like when, when you've got a bill, right? And you know you, you want to do everything in your power to just push it off just a little bit longer, right? Just a little bit long. A prospect's the same way. They're, they're going to do that if you give them the ability to do that. And most of the time, either go find someone else in that time period or just not come back. So we find, yes, that importance of asking for the order and closing the deal and the consultation is imperative. It's not a, we'll send the contract out later. It's not a, hey, we'll just follow up some other time when you're ready to get started. It's got to close the deal. You're spending all this money on marketing. You want to maximize it, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and guys, anyone who's an estate planning attorney, it goes double for you because you guys have problems that people can put off, unfortunately. Yes. I think a lot of the times, too, if you got the DWI, the you know injury guys, the bankruptcy guys, it's it's family law, God forbid. It's like, you know, people can't walk away from And people still do find ways to walk away from those problems. Absolutely. It's crazy. It is. Um, okay. So kind of going back to like the marketing question, too. So, I mean, the biggest difference that we kind of see is, you know, people going from referral to marketing in the first place. What do you guys see in terms of the differences between ways that people could make their way to the consultation room. What what kind of differences do you guys see in close rates for different channels or any any kind of thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, look, you nailed it earlier on. Referrals should close at the highest rate possible, right? I mean, anyone that was referred over to you in most cases should be pretty darn near an automatic close. But as far as marketing channels and close rate attached to each of those channels, we actually see a pretty consistent close rate across all marketing channels. The, the only time I would say I've seen that altered is if 
like, for instance, I, I was once kind of in a conversation with a, a bankruptcy firm, and they send out uh, letters when someone's got outstanding debt, right? Or maybe they've just been sued, okay? And those I find actually tend to work really well. The difference was is this person, this firm was sending these letters a little premature. Like some people didn't even know they had this debt. Some people had no idea what this was for. And so that was the one exception I've ever seen when a direct mail piece went out, which seemed to be pretty premature in, in, in my opinion. And you had a very low close rate because people weren't even looking to necessarily file bankruptcy. They were just looking to figure out what this even was, or maybe just to settle the debt, right? So so that would be one example. Other than that, I see, and I know, you know, I, I wish I could give a more amplified version of, well, by this channel, by this channel, by this channel, here's the mm -hmm. close rate. But it is pretty even across all channels is what we find with the exception being referrals being the highest level. Okay, no, that's interesting. And, you know, honestly, uh, I don't think it's super surprising because it's like on some level, it doesn't really matter too much whether they come from Google or Facebook or TikTok or wherever it happens to be. It's like if they've risen their hand, you know, granted, they're not going to be as buttered up to somebody coming in for a referral. That's good. And I think, you know, if sure. I'm thinking about that bankruptcy example, that was probably closer to cold call if they didn't really know why they were getting the phone in the first place, right? right? So, right. Okay. so that's interesting. And then, um, you know, kind of a similar question. What kind of differences do you see between the practice areas? Yeah. So if you're open to it, I could give you a breakdown of the range. Yeah. Love to hear it. Yeah, perfect. So here's kind of the ranges we found. And again, I'm partially biased in the sense that these are firms using our structure. Okay, mm -hmm. so I, I want to put that out there. But what we have found is when that structure is utilized properly, family law and criminal should consistently close between 55 and 65 percent. Immigration should be consistently between 60 and 70 percent. Bankruptcy should be consistently between 65 all the way up to 80%. Then you've got estate planning and probate that should really be about 75 to 85% plus, and then personal injury, 95% plus. Those are where close rates should and could be if you're listening to this. Okay, interesting. And what do you think kind of accounts for the differences between those practices, if you had to speculate? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, for, for criminal and for family law, family law, you know, you're dealing more on a retainer basis. Usually what I see with family law firms is there's a, there's a little bit less flexibility in payment plans, right? Because mm -hmm. we're dealing with retainers. So if a prospect can't afford our retainer right off the bat, obviously that's a bit alarming and concerning to a family law firm because that's just the retainer. Never mind what that case could go to, right? Yeah. And so we see that that tends to create a bit of a lower close rate. Criminal is in a similar boat. Criminal, you know, we see there, there's a lot of options out there, a lot of shopping around in criminal. And don't get me wrong, there's ways to work through the shopping around objection, but we see a lot of variability in the price discrepancy between firms. And similarly, there's a lot of criminal cases where payment terms can't be all that generous depending on the length of the case. Bankruptcy is pretty, I mean, that's just a pretty consistent one. Uh, you know, people have a need, can close the deal. Immigration's in a similar boat to that. You know, people come in with a need and and you can close the deal. The interesting one is really the estate planning and probate, right? And, and what we find with the estate planning and probate is, you know, most of those people are in there, they're interested in taking action. And usually, usually you're dealing with a higher level of prospect 
in those situations. And what I mean that is this is more of a progression planning, right? It's it's less out of a dire need situation. It's more out of a progression planning. Someone that's coming in, again, most of the time already prepared to learn more and maybe take action. And we have just found that that practice area just crushes it. Estate planning just absolutely crushes it with structure. And then personal injury, in my opinion, it's less about trying to close the deal. It's more about deciding the type of cases you want, which is why we see such a high close rate with PI. Right. Now, that's interesting too. And I mean, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, you know, from our experience with the estate planning stuff too, it's it's funny because some people will say the fact that uh, it's open-ended is actually a disadvantage, but I mean, I definitely see the same stuff as far as getting the structure in place. The key thing uh, for the, that we see too is just making sure that people don't put it off. But when people do the damn thing, it's it's pretty solid. And like, you don't have the same problems you know, gosh, I mean, we, it's been a while since we've done it, but when we were doing criminal stuff back in the AdWords days, I mean, it sucked because, you know, you have the, the situations where, you know, there's different types of people that are coming in for, you know, burglary sure. versus a DWI. And like, if they're, right. you know, driven to that in the first place, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's tough to come up with the cash, but okay. That's super interesting. And then, you know, as far as kind of, I know we're kind of getting a little bit close to the, the end of the time, but you've got a lot of interesting stuff going on with the closing room. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, how you work with people and, you know, what's, what sort of the, uh, the situation you guys have going on as a company and you know how would people get involved if, uh, if they wanted to yeah absolutely so as far as what we do uh we, we are all about like you've heard me mention it right figuring out and evaluating kind of where you're currently at what you're currently doing in terms of your consultation process and then making sure we we install this this structure and then consistently train on that structure making sure you or whoever's in your consult room currently uh, whether that's a non-attorney an attorney an associate is trained on this consistently so that way you're not able to just increase your close rate once or twice to 60 to 80 percent you're able to do that like clockwork and as a law firm owner you've got dependability right knowing that whoever's plugged into that structure can get the deal closed and close in that rate consistently. And one of the things I'd like to throw out there is, you know, you can take the next step and actually I would be happy to offer a little bit of value in, in kind of this single shift that you can make uh, to, to increase your close rate relatively immediately. If you go to the closingroom.com backslash podcast, uh, you, you can get access to that. And uh, we, we kind of go through exactly that single shift. John, I, I, I know you had a chance to figure it out. I realized I just butchered your name as well. Oh, that's all good. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's awesome. So then we can get people to that. We'll, we'll get that over in the show notes as well, too. And I've watched the training. It's really, really good. So if you guys want to do that, I, I definitely recommend getting that together. But yeah, we'll get that over in the uh, in the show notes as well. But um, yeah, man, I think that's awesome. And as far as kind of like just recapping for everyone listening, I know it's kind of funny because sales is one of those things that a lot of people avoid in the first place, but you know, it doesn't have to be variable. It's like a process like anything else. And then those are some of the, it's so close to the ball that the leverage that you get on moving these percentages up are impactful for not only what you're doing with it's it's cheaper than scaling your marketing for one, it has cross platform benefits, you know, if you can get this figured out for one channel, it makes any channel that you're ever going to work with more effective. And um, I'm just happy that uh, people like here out here, Michael, and, uh, preaching the good word for, <laughs> for people that need help with this stuff, because ultimately, you know, this is going to help people connect with the right attorneys, and you guys are gonna be able to make a bigger impact in the community. So thanks again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity. If you don't mind, I'd love to end on, on two really important factors you had just Go mentioned for it. there. Yeah, cool. So first and foremost, 
you nailed it on the head, right? Yes, you can go spend more money on marketing and advertising, scale up your marketing and advertising. Sales is the one aspect of your business that if you optimize it, you add instant cash flow, right? You could do nothing else in your firm and just optimize your sales process today. And that will generate you instant cash flow in the business, right? So that's one thing. And the second thing is you also nailed this. A lot of times attorneys will hear the word sales and some of them, it makes their skin crawl right? Like, ah, sales, you know, I don't like that. And uh, what I like to loop back to is actually a quote from Zig Ziglar. Uh, Selling is not something we do to our clients. It's something we do for our clients. And what I believe in is, look, if you're listening to this and, and you believe that your firm is the best firm in your practice area, in your geographical location, I would go as far as to saying, if that's the case, We almost have an ethical obligation to do what we can to help that prospect retain the firm because we're the best to serve them. And we know they will get the best result if we're able to help serve them. And so, yeah, this ultimately goes back to being able to impact more people, impact your team, impact more lives. And it all starts with being able to fix that sales process. Okay, really well said. And uh, thanks for for getting that summary into Michael. So, all right, guys, it was an awesome hour. I hope you guys appreciate it as much as I did. And for everybody else, I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 